You're listening to the Restoration Church Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and deep calling to deep. Today's message is brought to you by Lead Pastor Kim Foreman. You know, that's what our lives should be. Our lives should glorify Him in everything that we do. And um, God has given me a message this morning. And it's, in fact, He's given me the message. Uh, I had another message that goes with this message. Uh, so he's building it out. So I don't know how far he'll build it out, but it's really a message about the birthright of the believer. And the name of this one this morning is called the repair of the breach. Next week is a different, uh, I love what he did because he gave me next week's message. And then this week I sent down, I sit down and went over and I have a whole nother message. So this was like the, the, the foundation and on that he's going to build. And so if you don't know your birthright, I believe that during this, this however long, this week and next week, and uh, that God's going to begin to reveal some things to you. Uh, but again, the name is Repair of the Breach. And so you don't have to be a rocket scientist or highly educated to find fault with the church. Most of us, even before we came to Christ, could find fault with the church. But if you want to be like Christ... You have to die for people's sins. And I don't mean a literal death. That's already been done for us by our Lord and Savior. But death to our flesh. Death to our selfish nature. To put others before ourselves. To realize that your life, your actions, your words have a purpose and have a plan. And they have an eternal effect. Repair the breach. What's the breach? A breach is a breakdown. It's a gap. It's a picture of um, a bridge that connects one place to another. And the gap is the distance between the way things are and the way things should be. Mm, That's good. And what is the motto of our church? The motto of our church of restoration is let God restore the life he wants you to live. Amen. What an awesome motto for this house. So if you see something wrong, and we all see things that are wrong, perhaps Jesus wants you to be the one to stand in that gap and see it changed. And again, Isaiah 58, 12, one of my favorite scriptures. Those from among you will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will raise up the age-old foundations, and you will be called the repairer of the breach. Amen. The restorer of the streets in which to dwell. It's not by accident that God's given me this message as um, Gloria is teaching on Nehemiah and repairing of the walls. But this scripture sounds a lot like our families, and I'm not talking about our community, nor am I talking about our nation. Let's just today drill down and talk about our families. Perhaps we remember grandparents or great-grandparents that were godly, that uh, had a code of honor, that raised up their children in the admonition of the Lord. And, uh, but in the last one or two generations, we have seen our families seem to go into ruins, into devastation. And what has done that? Sin's done that. That's what has done that. Perhaps we see nothing but rubble and devastation for many generations. Some are blessed to have less to repair than others. But many of us are called like Nehemiah to repair a wall that's been broken down, left in ruin for over 152 years. 
What we do counts. And that's what I hope you get out of this message. And again, it means the simple things to the big things. We're not only encamped about by a cloud of witnesses in Hebrews 12.1. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for all of us. Faithful men and women have paved the way for us. If we just look at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, our forefathers are part of that cloud of witnesses. So not only as Jesus at the right hand of the Father interceding for us, but we are surrounded by the cloud of witnesses cheering us on. Mm-hmm. Many of us have loved ones that are in that cloud of witnesses cheering us on. Come on, yeah. And what about the angels that he's given charge over us to protect us and to keep us from even dashing our foot on a stone, what it says in Psalms 91. And I love to think about this, that, you know, one third of the angels fell, but angels are innumerable. I mean, we've got more for us than that are against us. And when you think about that, um, we have an angel army that protects us, aids us. Uh, and in Hebrews 12, uh, 22, it says in Mount Zion, the heavenly city, the living God, are innumerable angels. Amen. Demons are not innumerable. They even record in the book of remembrance what we do. So get a picture of that, that everything you do is being recorded. Malachi 3.16 says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened, and he heard them. And so a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who, uh, who meditate upon his name. So we have angels that are following us and recording everything. And we each have a book of remembrance. And then if he tells us in Psalms 56, 8, that he keeps, it says, you keep track of all my sorrows, that you have collected all my tears in a bottle, in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. Then does this not tell us everything is recorded? I wonder if in our mansions, uh, our, our tears are the liquid and our glorious fountains that bubble up. Oh. We won't know till we get there. How awesome would that be? Huh. Again, his word tells us that he turns our sorrow into joy. Mm-hmm. So what better way to have fountains of joy and to actually experience that joy just to even come near our fountain that holds all our tears. And as it bubbles up, we can feel the joy of the Lord. Come upon us. And we're already going to be filled with joy overflowing. So I'm sure there are books. There's volumes upon volumes written about our families. We each probably have an entire section just to ourselves. And to think that we have the awesome opportunity to make so much of the blood of Jesus. And I picture time and time again angels going and pulling out a family record. And there are things done wrong not yet repented for, there are things not completed, there are mantles that have not been picked up, there are things that have been assigned to our lineage that has been left undone, and uh, there's been sin, there's been iniquity, there's been rebellion, even us, we have done those things too. And on those pages, it is recorded. And we can ask God 
That's the beauty of being underneath the New Testament and being in that place with the Holy Spirit that we can ask God to show us those things that have not been cleansed. Show us those things that have not be, been repented for. God will show us the ancient paths. God loves to show us mysteries and revelations and secrets, but we have not because we've asked not. So if we ask for these things, if we want to make sure, God, let me be the one to make a better way for my children and my grandchildren. God, show me that which has not been done. Show me where we have messed up so that I may pray and he'll give you a dream. He'll show a pattern in your lineage and then you'll be able to take that and be able to bring it to the courts of heaven and through the blood of Jesus and through the revelation of the Holy Spirit, cleanse it. How powerful is that? That is a powerful, powerful thing. Uh, I met a lady just this last week. It really, really uh, hurt my heart. Uh, she came to the school Tuesday night, and she's only uh, 52, and she has so many things that are wrong with her that uh, she says that she's waiting for a lung transplant. She's also got heart failure, and, um, and then she tells me her story of her life is one of tragedy. She was a foster child, not wanted. Her mother, even on her deathbed, would not tell her she loved her. Oh um, terrible, terrible. As you hear it, you just want to weep it was so bad. And she said, well, you're a pastor. She said, uh, can you help me uh, prepare for, for my death? Oh, my goodness. And, um, of course, I want to pray for miracles. But what is my job in this? My job is to unpack her life and to lead her through making much of the blood of Jesus and cleanse and uproot and pull down. And so that when God takes her home, there's nothing left undone. So her grandchildren and her daughter can have a much better life. So yes, the, the ravages of sin, the ravages of, of things that have come against her and the way the enemy, but can we not pull the, pull the rug out from underneath Satan and prepare her? For a better way for her children and her grandchildren. Yes. And my hope is that God will just heal her. And so that's the way we're going to go. But that just touched my heart. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sure this is why God gave me this message this morning. And Satan being the legalist. This one, well, Satan being the legalist he is. And working throughout our family lines. He knows our history. He's been in our history to kill, steal, and destroy. He, and that is his legal ground to continue to work his evil from generation to generation. Um, he's constantly been fighting against our lineage. And to think that each of us have the amazing opportunity to have not only overcome and have our actions impact heaven, but in faith to ask the angels to open up the family books in heaven. And as we repent, as we recognize the uh, and, and begin to bring it before the Lord, the angels take giant erasers, dip in the blood of Jesus and they're able to erase and throw those sins into the sea of forgetfulness to be remembered no more. How awesome is that for us to be in the New Testament and this time and this season to be chosen to do the greater works. This is the greater works. When Jesus talked about the greater works, he knew he was going to leave his blood and he was going to send the Holy Spirit. And he wanted everything reconciled to himself. And so that is what we are. We are repairers of the breach. We are reconcilers. And so, 
We can set the next generation up to cleanse the legal ground, to make much of the blood. We are removing obstacles, snares, sabotages from our children, our grandchildren. And this goes on and on. I think about the scripture that says, cast up the stones, prepare the way of the Lord. We need to do the heavy lifting. Let's do the heavy lifting and prepare a better way. Let's pave the way for our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren by making much of the blood of Jesus. So, I love the analogy of the number line, and I'm going to hit that because I want you. I love picture. I love picture of words and and uh, illustrations to get uh, something so in your spirit that it uh, just resonates and brings life. And the number line has done that. And so I'm going to talk to you about your number line. So each of us, again, we're born with a number line, and this number line has pluses and it has minuses. And so, depending on your family's faithful service to God, hopefully yours is full of pluses. I often bring up the fact that I stand before you today according to Deuteronomy 7-9. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God. The faithful God who keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. So someone loved God. And I am remembered in that thousand generation promise because I can look at the last 70 years of the sin, iniquity, and rebellion. And uh, it was almost godless to look at some of my family lineage. So I know that God's remembering my great-great-grandmother or I may be further back than that. But I'm telling you, that's why I sit here before you and that's why most of you are sitting here. Somebody loved the Lord. Amen. And what they did counted. So just as what we do counts. And most of us that are here loving and serving our God, again, is just what I said. It's because someone loved him. Um, and very well, we again are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses cheering us on. So let's look at this number line a little closer. So let's say your family had pluses in some places and minuses in others. The minuses are what? The weakness, uh, the failures. The sin, the iniquity, the rebellion, the idolatry. And then you have all these pluses of those in your family lineage that were overcomers, that were people of faith, that were people that were full of the fruit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, that were, um, you know, they endured. They were pioneers. They stayed the course no matter what the trials and tribulations, death all around them, that they stayed the course in faith. That builds up your number line greatly. But perhaps your plan and purpose is to knock the minus numbers, and I believe that what it's worth to do. We are to knock those minus numbers down in one or several areas by what? Coming in the opposite spirit. The old, when we went through that whole time uh, for several years, what would Jesus do with the bracelets? That's what I'm talking about. What would Jesus do? Because we all know it's contrary to our flesh, It's very easy for us to get over in the flesh and to return evil to evil. It's very, very hard to return good for evil and to love thy enemies and all the things that the word says to do. But by coming in the opposite spirit to be prayer in action, that's what we are. Prayer is not always what we're saying. Prayer is what we are doing. We should be prayer in action every day when our feet hit the floor. We are modeling. We are ambassadors of the Lord to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer only. 
And again, all of heaven is recording. That really causes you to stop and think, you know, I mean, what do you do if somebody's recording you? You know, somebody's putting you on media, you know, putting on your best face. Well, guys, we've got angels that record us at all times. A good example is how God used Hosea. I love that story in the Old Testament to display the actions of what Hosea did in obedience to the unfaithfulness of Israel. Israel was like uh, Israel was like Gomer, a prostitute, had gone a whoring after other lovers, unfaithful in all his ways. And I want you to know that he painted God's message on the canvas of his life. What is the canvas of each of your lives? What is God painting on your lives? What is the masterpiece God has created? Because I'm going to tell you, that's a masterpiece when you look at the story of Hosea and Gomer. Not only did Hosea have to marry a prostitute, she continued in her prostitution, and time and time again, he had to pursue her and even buy her back from the slave block. And then he also had three children with her. And when you look at the three children, a son, the first one was named Jezreel, known for a plain that is beautiful and rich, but ravaged by war. Is that not what God gives us with our lives? He gives us a beautiful plain, but sin, iniquity, and rebellion causes it to be just ravaged and wrecked in war. And a daughter that was uh, named Laura Haman refers to God's tender mercy. It literally means womb. Symbolizing God's astonishing love for his people. And however, the negative prefix means no mercy and withdrawal from God's love. And sin separates us from a holy God. Aren't we so thankful for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ reconciling us? And then the third child, Laomni. Not my people. The most devastating name yet Israel had abandoned their God. So Hosea paints this masterpiece, a picture that reveals the broken but loving heart of God for his wayward, disobedient, and indifferent people. The canvas of Hosea's life reveals the salvation of the Lord for his unworthy people. And we all know that we are unworthy. And we are in a better time, not only under the new covenant, I thank God for the Holy Ghost. To think that there's a paintbrush that can be dipped in the blood of Jesus of redemption, reconciliation, and cleansing. And that we can be partner with heaven to cleanse, eradicate, erase. That is so powerful. Um, The only limitations we have to accomplish our birthright is the limitations that we place on ourselves. That's right. He will equip us to accomplish the greater works. He has called us to cleanse and again eradicate and make much of his blood. So I'm going to ask each one of you, what is your birthright? It's the hardest thing that you will ever do. It's war. It's your battle. Your purpose, your plan. To be the opposite of the evil within your family. To fill in the gap. When there are weaknesses in the bloodline through him who called you, overcome, arise, bring life, 
where there's death. Bring faith where there's fear. Bring hope where there's hopelessness. Sow the word. Pray. Use your gifts and talents. Multiply them by freely what? Giving them and using them. God has set a treasure aside for you that he has assigned for you to find and to possess. And yet this will require an intense battlefield and you will have to fight to get it, whatever it is, and it will greatly enrich your life and it will give you extraordinary fulfillment based on your design and your gifts and talents. And it will do the kingdom of God the greatest good along with your family line. Remember the number line? For every action, there is a equal reaction. A good illustration is, let's say, that in your family line is generations of adultery by fathers who were continually in the bed of adultery. So the enemy has a familiar spirit, a covenant-breaking spirit that is attached to your family line. And this attachment comes in with all the males to tempt, to seduce, to lure. Um, but you find Christ. You marry. You make that choice to, as a male that you're going to honor your vows. You're going to resist temptation after temptation, whether it's a seducing woman, whether it's pornography. You fight, you fight, you fight. I'm not going to say it's going to be the most intense battle that you ever face. But you're going to fight. And what does it say? A righteous man falls seven times, but he gets up all seven times. And I'm not going to say you're not going to fall. But boy, if you get up and fall yourself back on the altar of grace and call upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you will get stronger and stronger and you will less fall and be tempted. So if you stay the course of faithfulness, and even though there's been great strife and your marriage has hit lots of rocky roads, you stayed the course. What if your wife even became unfaithful, but you forgave, you did not retaliate, you did not return evil to evil, and you hung on to your covenant, and every right action and choice deducted the minus numbers over and over and over again. So every time you were tempted, perhaps to pornography, and you resisted and you got busy, and you told the devil, no, not today, devil. Maybe that was a plus 100. Maybe every time pretty woman was flirtatious and you didn't respond, maybe that was plus 500. And what about your wife's adulterous affair? And you refused to get into the bed of adultery and return evil to evil. What if that took all the minus numbers from all your generations back and brought it right to zero? I bet you it would. I bet you it would. And then, okay, so your number line is now at a zero. And you trust God, and you go into the house of God, and you get God with the counsel from a, a Christian couple, and you begin to go to marriage retreats, and you begin to put God in the place of your marriage like you never put God before. And before you know it, your marriage is better than it ever was before. And before you're asked to be leaders... And to start doing marriage counseling and marriage ministry and you're giving your testimony. Let me tell you, once that went to zero and you stepped into the house of the Lord and you begin to come into the opposite spirit, what you have done is you have accrued great plus numbers 
over your children. And so in your old age, as you sit there with that wife of your youth, and as you've overcome those things and you look at your children, and you look at the fruitfulness of their marriages and the fruitfulness of their marriage bed and how there's not been adultery, how they've stayed the course in their people of covenant. You have rooted up that covenant-breaking spirit. And in your old age, you are able to see the fruit and sit and rejoice in your God and how he has completely cleansed your lineage from adultery and betrayal. That's the overcomers. That's the believer's uh, victory in our Lord and our Savior. So again, I challenge you, what's your birthright? What's your birthright? You know, one while back that I taught on crossing over with the Jordan a few weeks back, and I laid out how Joshua was born into Egypt into slavery. He was delivered out of slavery by Moses. He was sent out as a spy and was only one out of two that had the faith to believe that they could go into Canaan and root it up, and they were against the majority. And the ten that believed in unbelief, they couldn't do it, won. And so again, when you look at his life, uh, he and Caleb were stuck in the wilderness with those people for another 40 years. Don't you think God placed in Joshua, just like the man I just talked about, that was an overcomer with his wife and the adultery, don't you think God placed in Joshua an extra measure of faith? And what about that patience and endurance? So at the ripe old age of 80, he led the people to take Canaan in only five years. And then if you look at his life, he only had 15 years to enjoy the land of milk and honey. So the majority of his life, from the time he was born till the time he got to the land of Canaan, that was almost, what, 90, 95% of his life was in war. And so you think yours should be any different? Think on that. And when he didn't have the blood of Jesus. So I'm telling you, if you think you weren't born to war, I don't know about y'all, but my life has been nothing but war. But now I stand on that place where the devil's not kicking my behind. Now I'm on the other place where, yeah, he gets the best of me sometimes, but then I've got to say, okay, what's in me that keeps drawing you back? And isn't God good to show us? Because he's on a leash. He just can't do what he wants. He has to have legal ground to come against you. He has to have something. Something where he has been given permission and the hedges broke down. So the question is always, why does this keep happening? I guarantee you it's always going to lie with you. So, there's no sitting when you are a warrior of the cross. There's no sitting by the still waters and the by and by when we are called by God. I'm sorry, you may get a little bit of that time frame. And all of us, I've heard all of us and it's come out of my mind. God, can I just sit on the mountaintop a little while? You know, can I just stay on the glory to glory? Can I just stay in the glory a little longer? And I, before long, there's another valley. There's another valley. That's sitting on that by the, by the still waters. Is your furlough to refresh you because there's another battle coming. There's a, you, are, you are born to war. Your hands are weapon of war. Our lives are weapon of war. And you just better get used to it. That's what we're called to. So I want you to think for a minute about the Apostle Paul. Chief Pharisee, an apostle. He's from the tribe of Benjamin. I want to remind you that he was a Pharisee. His religious spirit ran deep in his veins and his lineage. 
He had a judgmental, critical spirit. Again, the outside of the cup is clean, but the inside's filthy. The Bible calls the Pharisees a whitewashed tomb. So I don't care how good it looks, it's dead and it stinks, and that's what religion is. But I want you to know, too, that Paul is murdering Christians. And he has to have an encounter on the road to Damascus with Jesus with this bright light and he's blinded. So one of the things with the Pharisees is the Pharisee, they judge uh, by the light, but they do not allow the light to judge them. So now does that make sense why he was blinded by the light? Because they want to use the word to condemn, but they themselves don't live by the word. So how symbolic? Because again... The blinding makes me think of religion judging a person's outer appearance, their clothing, their cleanliness, their social status, and how they are accepted. The Pharisees were highly educated. It may tell you why when he finally died a martyr, his head was shut, cut off. And y'all heard me teach about the high places is the mind. This is the battlefield of the mind is how the enemy enters. So, you know, off with your head. Knowledge that exalts itself and gets the knowledge of Christ. Would that not be why his head was chopped off in the end? So, Paul's blind and helpless. So let's think about him coming from the tribe of Benjamin for a moment. I want you to remember that he is named Saul. Probably after King Saul, who was also from the tribe of Benjamin. And what was Saul? He tormented David. He was full of jealousy. Um... As Saul lost the kingship, he did not destroy the Amalekites, who were the enemies. Y'all heard me teach on the Amalekites. There was jealousy, there was murder, there was covenant breaking in Saul, and the Pharisees named him Saul. No wonder God changed his name to Paul. Uh, you know? But I want you to realize that Benjamin was spoiled rotten, the tribe Benjamin. And why was Benjamin spoiled rotten? Because, again, he was a child born to Rachel, and Rachel's death. Baby, he was a second love child of Jacob and Rachel. Uh, slavery, so don't you know Jacob's affection upon Benjamin was so great because of Joseph he thought was dead. And so he probably doted on him. And if we remember the story of when they went to Egypt, Joseph, um, you know, he, Jacob had so much fear that he didn't want Benjamin to go because he was a 20 years earlier when Joseph disappeared from him, that Benjamin would get hurt too. And so when Joseph uh, also revealed himself to the brothers, he had prepared for his brothers. Benjamin got five times more than his brothers. But this is a clue to the tribe of Benjamin because they're spoiled rotten. They are. He also gave Benjamin 300 shekels of silver and five sets of clothing as they were returning to get Jacob. So Benjamin was the only tribe born in the promised land. So Apostle Paul, here's the thing, the 12th tribe, 12 means apostolic. The only child born in the promised land. This is a symbolism of the apostolic church coming from Jesus Christ. And Benjamin represents that. So of course Paul had to be from the tribe of Benjamin. And so we see Apostle Paul. And as we look at the prophecy of Benjamin, it says that Benjamin shall raven as a wolf in the morning, and he shall devour the prey at night, and he shall divide the spoil. The Benjamites have a ravenous appetite for meat and lots of spoil. They get the spoil. So they get the goods. 
You know, they, they do. It's just a, a special thing that God's placed on that tribe. But the other thing is God gives Benjamin that he gives no other tribe, special safety. Benjamin, the beloved of the Lord, shall dwell in the safety by him. This is Deuteronomy 33.2 that says, Who shelters him all day long, and he shall dwell between his shoulders. So God keeps Benjamin between his shoulders and shelters him. So there was a special provision made for Paul and the apostolic church that God keeps them, holds them, protects them. So as we see Apostle Paul, by far one of the greatest apostles, he had a lot of, a lot of pluses in his number line. And again, apostolic, to build new, to have abundance, to build special protection. Uh, and what did he receive? He overcame persecution, snake bites, shipwrecks. But much of what he suffered, could it have been because, number one, he's from the tribe of Benjamin, and that tribe had a lot of minuses. The other thing, could it be because of all the people he killed? All the people he persecuted? Could that be why he was shipwrecked? Could that be why he was in prison? He wrote when he was in prison a lot of the New Testament. So I would say, you know, when you're knocking down the minus numbers, uh, goodness. And he had a thorn in his flesh. Uh, false brethren betraying him. Weakness, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. We don't know all that Paul did before he had that encounter on the road to Damascus. So I challenge you to think about that. It's some of what he suffered because he had to overcome and come in the, and knock down those minus numbers of even what he had done as a Pharisee. That religious spirit is what a whitewashed tomb. So how many in his lineage had imprisoned, had hurt, had harmed people unrighteously? We won't know this side of heaven, will we? But was his birthright to cleanse Benjamin? Was his birthright for the apostolic church of Jesus Christ? Yes. So, um, something to think about. The other thing I want to talk about for a minute, just giving you understanding in this in such a way, let's talk about even in today's world, and even in the last hundred years, there was a man... Uh, that that uh, his name was Alfred Nobel, the Nobel Peace Prize. Huh. Let's talk about him for a minute because this is an opposite spirit, great illustration. He uh, let's see, he was a Swedish chemist, engineer, and industrialist who invented dynamite. He uh. And dynamite had killed so many people in war and industry. Brilliant man, his brother's name was Ludwig. Ludwig was brilliant too, and they were very, very wealthy. They actually had, they bought a, they purchased a steel and iron mill, and they made military armaments. Mm -hmm. And what shook him, really shook him to the core, was that his brother died like eight years before him. And in the front headlines of the French newspaper, it said, the merchant of death is dead. And it shook him to his core. Wow. And so he did not want his legacy to be as his brother's. 
So when he died in 1896, he left all his wealth to establish the Nobel Peace Prize. And that is awarded to who has done the most to advance the fellowship among nations, the reduction of standing armies, and establish and promote peace. So this takes place every year. And the recipient receives a green gold metal plate, a 24 karat gold diploma, and $10 million. Wow. It's been awarded 609 times to 975 people and 25 organizations. There's been five individuals and two organizations have received it more than once. And some of those would be like the man who invented x-rays. Uh, there was another man that developed an antitoxin to diphtheria. Uh, the man who invented the founding of the Red Cross. Uh, Marie uh, Curry uh, isolated, you know, pure radium. And there's a man who also activism against the production of nuclear war. And then there was another man who discovered the insulin molecules, which helped us be able to fight diabetes. And that's just a few. But look at the opposite spirit. Most of his life was creating death and mayhem. And he took this seriously. And this all started in the 1800s and it's still going. And it's a multi-million dollar organization that is promoting. So I'm going to close on asking you, so what is your birthright? What if you're called to cleanse? You know, you've heard me talk about the gifting on Bob and I to, to take care of, you know, to be foster parents all these years. And I pondered, and you know, I've stood before you and I've told you that, you know, when I look back at the things that have landed in our path, both of us being called to do this, of course, with this understanding, uh, you know, what in our lineage, what in his lineage and what in my lineage were we maybe didn't take care of children? Or maybe our children were slaves. Or maybe, you know, we had wealthy people that on the back of slaves worked in our, you know, our, our plantations, our vineyards. I don't know. All I know is the call on my life is to restore the children that have been, you know, abused or neglected or, you know, abandoned. That is the call on my life. That is the call on his life. And just in the last 70 years I've told y'all the story about my mother and my grandmother going to a, you know, a funeral and seeing a man that looked exactly like my grandfather and knew that my great-grandfather, the doctor, must have been busier more than delivering babies and maybe making some babies in the bed of adultery. And then later on, I find out, you know, that he also had two illegitimate children that were put in Buckner's in Dallas. And so to find out that we were with Buckner's for 14 years, and I don't know how many children that we raised underneath that organization, you can see the minus numbers. But, you know, I even told in the last, you know, 70 years of my grandmother and grandfather having two nephews that lived in Port Arthur, and they only had one child. And yet this was my grandfather's brother that was a severe alcoholic, and his wife was a severe alcoholic. And these two little boys were like malnutritioned and being starved to death. And for the life of me, I grieved over that. Why did my grandparents not rescue those two children? But you see, that's an atrocity. 
My grandparents, my grandfather worked for Texaco. They had one child. Why would you not go gather up these two boys and bring them when your, your brother and your sister-in-law are alcoholics, not feeding them? So that's an atrocity. How many minus numbers did that load up? So all I can tell you with my birthright, one of my birthrights is to restore children. So I believe in my lineage that we have probably done great atrocities to not care for children. And so I want to challenge you in the next week as I build out this series, what is your birthright? What is the thing that has just drove you crazy and you've had to fall and get up and fall? Maybe that is your birthright. And again, it's the hardest thing. Canaan was Israel's birthright. Was it not war? It was war. And so I'm going to tell you, we're all called to a war, to a birthright. And so I challenge you, seek the Holy Spirit. What is your birthright? And next week, I have an awesome sermon that's just going to build on this even greater. And so, I'm going to close and pray for the Lord to reveal. So, Father, I thank you that you've called each one of us as a reconciler, as a repairer of the breach. That you've called us to be ambassadors to Father to restore the ancient ruins. And Lord, our families, there are many places our families are in shambles. And Father, there are broken. And Lord, you called us to restore. And Father, I thank you that our weapons of warfare are not carnal, but mighty in the pulling down. And God, even like with Nehemiah, if we've got to build one hand with one hand and hold a weapon in another, then God, so be it. But God, we're asking for understanding. We're asking for you to show us the ancient path. Show us those mysteries, Holy Spirit, those secrets of what our life has been, what our life is meant to do, and what kind of masterpiece are we painting in our actions, God, to bring you glory and to change the course of our family history. And Lord, I'm asking you, God, to impart to each one of us in restoration that, Lord, that we would truly take our walk seriously to look at our lives and see the things that we've overcome, see the things that you brought us through. And Lord, how we have definitely done a work in the spirit to bring our family lineage to a better place. And Lord, we're not going to stay right there. God, we want to bring it all the way back to zero and every place there has been sin, iniquity and rebellion. And we want to begin to build those numbers to set up our children and our grandchildren grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. Let us be the ones to cast up the stones, to Father, to move the obstacles out of their way so that, that Father, they can be a better way. It can be a paved way where they can walk in the blessings, where they can receive the mantles that, Lord, have just are hanging in the Spirit, waiting for someone in our generation to have the faith to pull them down and to walk in them and to, Father, do all that you've called them to do, the greater works. Father, we're asking for the greater works. Let us make much of your blood. Let us, God, glorify you in the way we walk, in the way we talk, and what we do, God. And Father, we even win our flesh, Lord, when we're hurt and we're broken. Let us realize that all the angels are recording and putting in the book of remembrance how we handle things. And that, Lord, that we will turn the other cheek. And God, we will restore. And we will do that which is good, even when there's evil, God. 
and we forgive, God, when we're betrayed and when we're hurt, God. And yes, God, we may wrestle for a while, but we will still choose to do what's right. We will choose what your word says. We will choose your principles and we will walk. We will walk in a, a manner worthy of the calling. We will walk in a way that, Father, brings glory to your name and, Father, and truly celebrates the, the, the selfless sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So mantle us, help us, show us, and, Lord, empower us to do those greater works. And we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen, amen. Thank you for listening to the Restoration Church Podcast. If you would like to watch our message live or looking for more information about our church, visit us. Follow us on Facebook, Restoration Church.